0: You have your copy of the Word of God. I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Luke, the end of the Gospel, chapter 24. That'll be our text this morning. But before we uh, read and look at the text this morning, let us pray. Father, as we approach our time this morning, in your word, we have sung. We have sung to you of your gospel and we have worshipped you. And Lord, it is our great desire. That this morning you would be exalted in our midst. Father, it's our it's our humble desire that as we come to you, you would be glorified, that you would speak to us. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and how it applies to our individual lives I pray that you would open our minds to comprehend your word as you open the minds of the disciples to to see and to understand the connections of your word. And how your word was fulfilled in your life, in your death, your burial and your resurrection. And so, Lord, may you be exalted today. May your name be high and lifted up and we worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, as we open up to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, <clears throat> um, the title of the message is Christ's Resurrection, God's Unfolding Plan. Luke chapter 24 gives us the account of Christ's resurrection. And as we, uh, as we open up and, and begin to look at the account of Christ's resurrection, we, uh, we've celebrated this past week, Holy Week, and some maybe have been able to attend services, others haven't, but maybe you've been able to spend time reading through the Passion Week and the Passion Narratives of Christ. But today, today is the culmination of all that we have walked through over this last week. Today, today... 2,000 years ago was the culmination of what Christ walked through in his earthly ministry. And then that Sunday morning, the first day of the week, he arose from the grave as we have sung about. He conquered death. His victory over sin and death was won. And he, he vanquished Satan, our foe. And so this morning as we approach this passage, I I want us ultimately to see that while this text reveals God's unfolding plan through the hope of the resurrection for his disciples, that it also is unfolding, God is unfolding his plan of redemption history through the work of his disciples today, the church. We don't just see the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in this text, we continue to see the unfolding of God's redemptive plan today in each and every life of of each and every believer, of disciples of Christ. And so we see this morning that the hope of the resurrection offers us a a new beginning by which Christ reveals His Word and He commissions us, He, He gives His commission in our lives because of His glorious ascension to the Father. Christ's Word is authoritative Christ's commission for his disciples is authoritative because of his ascension to the father, because he returned to the glory of the father where he dwelt before he became the word incarnate. And so this morning, as we approach this passage, I want to first give us three affirmations of the crucifixion and death of Christ. So that it sets the stage for where we're going in Luke's text. The first affirmation is this. Jesus suffered the full wrath of God in his death on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for the glory of God and the redemption of humanity. I know that's a mouthful. But I'll say it one more time. Jesus suffered the full wrath of God in his death on the cross. That is to say that when Christ died on the cross, God's wrath was poured out against sin. The wrath that each and every person in this created world deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. And because of our sin, offending a holy God. And we have gone against God. We have transgressed the law of God. In our pride, we have offended and we have blasphemed God. It was Christ who Satisfied the full wrath of God uh, on on the cross. And he suffered death and became the substitution for you and me. Christ substituted himself in the place of us. In your place, in my place. So that he would satisfy God's God's wrath against sin. And he, with his life, paid for. Made the atonement that we would not have to suffer God's wrath that he himself, so he became the substitutionary atonement. This was for the glory of God, because God in his holy and just character cannot be in the presence of sin without pouring his hot wrath out on sin. And so when Christ took the hot wrath of God and drank the cup of God's wrath, Was crucified and died. He atoned for our sin. It was for the glory of God. And was for the redemption of humanity. We have hope. We have hope now. Because of what Christ has done. In redeeming humanity. When Christ was raised from the dead. His redemption was given forth to all who would believe in Christ. And so this morning, those are the three affirmations about Christ's crucifixion and his death as we approach this passage. And as we approach this passage, we see God's unfolding plan worked out in the life of his disciples. We begin first by seeing in scene one, this, this text moves through the, the, the last chapter of Luke with four scenes. And the first scene we see is a scene of a a new beginning in verses 1 through 12. So if you found your place in chapter 24, say amen. Let us read together or follow along as I read rather in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now they were those women, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Verse 11. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb stooping. And looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Now we certainly have an advantage over those who are walking through the disciples who are walking through these days. We have, as modern readers, we have the advantage of, of seeing the end of the story, at least in one sense. After Christ's crucifixion and, and burial, the disciples are left asking, "What now?" What do we do? The man we've been following for the last three years, well, he's dead. What do we do now? And so, as we see in verses one through four, the women come and they approach the empty tomb. As they approach the empty tomb, we realize there are undertoes of, of doubt and, and, and of disbelief in the gospel narrative. It began back in, in, in verse fifty five and fifty six of chapter twenty three, where Luke tells us now the women they had gone and and they had seen where his body was laid, and then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. They were going to go to the temp to the tomb and pour them on Christ's body to prepare him for death. You know, I think it's at this point where we can really identify with these women. As they go to the tomb. Despite what Christ has told them. Regarding, uh, re- regarding his death. And his burial. And his resurrection. Their emotions are so tense. There's despair. In the face of Christ's death. And as they come to the tomb. They are expecting the stone to be there. And they think he's going to be laid there. In the tomb. But they see that the stone is rolled away. Their love for Christ causes them to disregard his teaching. If they would have listened to his teaching, they would not have even gone to buy the perfume and the spices, right? But their love for Christ compelled them. In the midst of their despair and their deep emotions, in their grief over losing their friend, over losing their teacher, they go to the tomb preparing and expecting to prepare his body. And so as they arrive at the tomb, they see it's empty. We might we might think they should have known he wouldn't be there. But so often, like us, they're consumed with grief, the grief of his death. And and they're unable to see through the fog of disbelief and doubt. In fact, verse four records they were perplexed. They were confused. They were confounded. They were saddened, but they didn't know what to do. So they must see that Christ's death was according to God's divine plan in verses 5 through 7. And the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground when they see these angels. But the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? What did he say, saying that the son of man must be delivered over into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. They must see that Christ's death was according to God's divine plan. Verse eight tells us upon remembering the words, once the angels confront them with this, they they run to report this to the eleven others And I want you to notice the struggle that the 11 others were going through as well. Look in verse 11. And in verse 11 of the text, it says that these words appeared to them as nonsense. They wouldn't believe what the women were saying. You know, we, we see in these women and we see in the disciples an example that I think really speaks to the human condition. Their their fickle faith was being driven by their emotions. And it, it reminds us of the fragile nature of our own faith. And it offers us a fitting challenge. Our faith must remain focused on the person and the work of Christ according to... Hear this, according to the authority of Christ's word. You know, it's a glorious thing that God has equipped us, given us the ability to have emotions... He's he's equipped us as his image bearers to experience the depth of of love in relationships and with spouses and family members and and friends so that we're elated with joy in one another's presence. We experience the depth of love. You know, but sin has also caused us great peril through death, great grief through death And the emotions that we experience when we lose a person to death can radically shake our foundation, causing our souls to experience great anguish and grief and even to the point of despair. And that's what we see the disciples and these women walking through. But the good news is that in Christ's resurrection, there is hope. Both for ourselves and for our loved ones, that death is not the end, and all who have fallen asleep in for all who have fallen asleep in Christ, because Christ's resurrection gives us hope. In Christ's resurrection, there is hope of a new beginning. The empty tomb was significant because it showed that Christ was not there. But Christ, when he was resurrected and appeared to his disciples, was even more significant. Because it meant that his body hadn't been stolen. It meant that he had truly conquered death. It meant that he had truly conquered sin. He had won the victory. And even though we struggle, brothers and sisters, with sin, still, we still in our flesh struggle and wage war against sin. We know that Christ ultimately has conquered death. He ultimately has won the victory over the bondage of sin. And all those, all who profess faith in him, place their trust in him, will have a new beginning. A new beginning. There's a third movement in this first scene. It shows Peter's amazement. Really, Peter's asking the question, what is God doing? Look in verse 12. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. He was amazed. He was astonished. He he didn't know what was going on. Peter marvels trying to understand what has happened. I think it's at this point, though, that we, too, are faced. With reflection. With decision. With faith. With faith. As we. With the ladies and the disciples. Face the empty tomb. His body is not there. There. Like Peter, what is our response? Has God fulfilled the promise of Christ's resurrection? Is Jesus truly alive to carry out God's plan? These must have been the questions that were rolling through Peter's mind as he leaves and goes home. We come to scene two. In verse 13, and in scene two offers us two assurances On the road to revelation. Two assurances on the road to revelation. The first one is this. That Christ guides us through times of perplexity and sadness. I want you to see that. Because that's exactly what was happening in the lives of the disciples. In the lives of these women. They were perplexed about what all of this meant. They were sad about what was going on. And in our times of perplexity and sadness, we must recognize the danger. There's a danger. The danger is that our true belief is revealed in moments of testing. We see this in verses 13 through 24 for the two disciples as they're walking along on the Emmaus Road. Our true belief is revealed in moments of testing. It may not seem like a significant point, but I assure you that it is. In times of perplexity and overwhelming sadness, we we need Christ guiding us. Believers need to heed and, and have Christ holding on to our salvation in those times. The women were perplexed. Verse 17 tells us that these two men were sad. Back verses 13 through 16 revealed to us that they were two disciples, and they were walking along the road to Emmaus. They were having a discussion amongst themselves about all that had just transpired in the days preceding with Christ's crucifixion, his death, his burial. Now the tomb is empty. And this stranger joins them and prevents their eyes, verse 16, from seeing who he is or recognizing who he is. And as he joins them, he joins into the conversation and he begins inquiring about what they're talking about. Verse 17, he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus said, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him over to the sentence of death and crucified him. Verse 21, But we were hoping, hear this, we were hoping, That it was he who is going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. You see, in the midst of a dark time, in the midst of their testing, their true belief about Christ becomes evident. And as this discussion unfolds, they say he was a mighty prophet. Indeed, in word, in the sight of God and in the sight of people. But we were hoping... That it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Oh, how they had missed the mission of Christ. In all that he had spoken to them, they had missed what Christ was really about. He wasn't the political Messiah they had might have hoped he would be. No, he was the Redeemer. He was the one that would come and redeem men from sin. He was the one that would come and give hope and purpose in life and and break the chains of bondage that sin brings about. He was the one who would deliver from death and give life. They had missed it. Now think about. Scripture and God's Word even for the life of the disciple today and what Scripture calls us to. James 1, 2-5 says, Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. But then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom... In other words, if you lack the wisdom to know how to walk through this trial that you're walking through, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. What I think we see happening here in this text is there's this road to revelation where the two disciples are on for going to the Emmaus road. And and Christ comes and he guides them through this time of perplexity and sadness. And this is exactly the way that Christ continues to work in the life of his disciples. I want us to see how Christ guides them through the times of perplexity and sadness. First, notice what he does In verses 25 and 27. Christ takes them to his word. This is significant. He takes them first to his word. He said to them. "O foolish men. Slow of heart. Slow of heart to believe in, in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? I want you to see in verse 25 that our assurance, believer, must rest on the authority of God's word. Our assurance must rest on the authority of God's word. Christ's crucifixion was necessary for the glory of the Father and for the good of his people. Without Christ's crucifixion, he doesn't satisfy the wrath of God and thereby make a way for you and I to come into the presence of the Holy Father was on the cross when Christ was crucified that his flesh was torn and so was the veil torn in the temple that separated the most holy place from the holy of holies. And before Christ's crucifixion and death, man could only go one time a year into the presence of God, but now man can go into God's presence unhindered. Because of the work of Christ on the cross it was, cross it was for the glory of the father and the good of his people. And in verse 27, beginning with Moses and the prophets, I want you to see what he does. He explains to them all of scripture and how it finds its fulfillment in him, beginning with Moses and the prophets. He explained to them everything concerning himself in all the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, it's of primary importance that in our Christward living, we treasure God's word and believe upon God's word in the Holy Scripture as the authoritative word for our lives. Christ takes them. He guides them through perplexity and sadness and and he takes them first to his word. But I want you to see the second aspect of Of what he does here is he he grounds them in the hope of the gospel. In verses 30 through 35. He grounds them in the hope of the gospel when he had reclined at the table. So uh, here's the picture. They're walking along the road having this discussion. He speaks to them and says, oh, men of a foolish heart. And then he begins to speak the word to them. In verse 28, they they entreat him and ask him to come and to dine with them. And he says, "Okay." so he goes in in the village of Emmaus and he dines with them. And that's at the point where we see Christ grounding them in the hope of the gospel. Verse 30, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? I love this portion of the text. Christ grounds them in the hope of the gospel. One one commentator writes This is the way that he is known in the community of the resurrection. When believers gather around the table, they know him as the center of their fellowship and the essence of their being. When his body was brought forth from the grave, his body, the church, was also given life. Brothers and sisters, at the Lord's table, Christ has instituted the ordinance for the church, whereby we exercise unified, confessional, Christ-centered living. We come to the Lord's table as a, a body of believers to remember Christ's atoning sacrifice, to celebrate his new covenant, and to look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where one day he will once again drink of the fruit of the Of the vine with us in eternal glory and we with him. And so we come as those who are weak, as those who are perplexed, as those who are saddened. But it's it's here. It's there where we meet the triumphant hope of the gospel. It's at the Lord's table. It's in the communion of the saints. As we will celebrate in a few moments, we come together. We experience the grace of God and help of God in our Times of need. In fact, not only does Christ guide us through times of perplexity and sadness. The second assurance on the road to revelation is that Christ shows himself faithful in our greatest times of need. He shows himself faithful to us in the midst of our great needs in verse 36 through 43. We see this. He appears to the disciples as they're all gathered together by this time. And he asked them a question, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Christ offers them physical proof. He says, touch my body and see, see my hands and my feet. Give me a piece of fish that I may eat it. And you can see that I'm not just a spirit. I'm not just a phantom. It is really me. I have really risen. And he stood there in their midst showing himself faithful in their greatest time of need. I think Luke adds this great detail for us to see to confront the heresy that says he just had a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. No, Christ rose bodily. He rose from the grave and he triumphed over death. You know, this is consistent with God's. Working in the life of his children. Our God is a compassionate God, and Christ is our great high priest with whom we find solidarity. Listen to Hebrews 4 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The third scene of this text, we see that the word and we see the word and their commission. Christ speaks about the word and speaks to them the word and then issues them a commission. There are two facets that I want to highlight for us. One is recognition and the other is responsibility. Recognition first, we when we submit our belief to the truth of scripture, excuse me, when we submit our unbelief to the truth of scripture, our faith increases. We see this in verses forty-four through through forty-six. Look at what happened first. Which is this is why I think Jesus uh, kept their eyes from recognizing him initially on the Emmaus road. First, Jesus opened the Scripture to the men's minds in verse forty-four. He must first open the Scripture to their minds. He told them of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and how all of them pointed and had their fulfillment in him, in the work that he had done on the cross. And after he had opened the scriptures to the men's minds, then in verses forty five and forty six, he opened their minds to the scripture. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, verse forty five And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. Jesus opened first the scripture to teach them the truth, and then he opened their minds to understand and comprehend the truth of the scripture and see how it applied to him. He did this in their midst. And now I want you to see the connection here is that while he opened their minds to the scriptures, but first opened the scripture to their mind. That now Christ has given of his Holy Spirit to all who are true believers in him. Verse forty nine. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed. With power from on high what we see is the role of the Holy Spirit. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to open men's minds to understand the Scripture. But get this first. People must be have the Scripture spoken to them. People must be introduced to the Scripture. For we cannot know of God, know who God is, know about God without first reading in his word. It doesn't work the opposite way around. God doesn't open our mind to understand who he is before we come to the scripture. It's in the scripture where we understand the revelation of who God is, where we understand the work of Christ and what he has done on the cross. It's through the scripture that we recognize this. And then the role of the Holy Spirit is that he comes and he empowers the disciples. So what I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit renews our minds By revealing the truth of God's word to us. Frank Stagg has a quote. He says, the Bible is witness to Christ. If it does not lead to faith in Christ, its basic purpose has been missed. We see this as Christ takes them from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and speaks about himself. Timothy George and big picture faith writes, in Mystery on the Desert, Maria Reich describes a series of strange lines made by the Nazia in the plains of Peru, some of them covering many square miles for years. People assumed these lines were the remnants of ancient irrigation ditches. Then in 1939, Dr. Paul Cossack of Long Island University discovered that their true meaning could only be seen from high in the air. When he viewed these lines from the airplane, these seemingly random lines were enormous drawings of birds and insects and animals. He says in a similar way, people often think of the Bible as a series of individual, unconnected stories. But if we survey the scriptures as a whole, we discover that they form one great story of redemption. From the opening scenes of Genesis to the final chapter of Revelation, weaving through the diverse strands of the Bible, is the overarching story of what God has been up to in the rescue and restoration of fallen human beings from the first nanosecond of creation through the final cry of victory at the end of time. Brothers and sisters, hear this. The word given to them is the word given to us. God has both preserved and provided his word so that we as his people might know him. And get this, the commission given to them. Is the commission given to us. The second facet. Of the word and their commission. Is to consider our responsibility. Consider our responsibility of commitment to Christ's commission in verses forty seven through forty nine. We see and 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 that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Listen, as gospel believing Christians, We must proclaim repentance from sin and forgiveness of sin to all nations, beginning from Baton Rouge, as he says in verse 47, beginning from Jerusalem. They were to proclaim his name to all nations, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. And then secondly, as gospel professing Christians, we must depend on the Holy Spirit to carry out Christ's commission. There's a reason Jesus tells them to go and to wait in Jerusalem until the spirit has come upon them. Because without the Holy Spirit of God, we cannot carry out the commission of Christ. But the responsibility for the believer is that we would carry out the commission of Christ. And we would do so because of the empowering of his Holy Spirit in the lives of his people. This means a couple of things. That proclaiming the gospel of Christ, the hope of the resurrection, is unique. It's a uniquely Christian calling. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How would they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. But brothers and sisters, this also means that proclaiming the gospel of Christ, the hope of the resurrection, it's not only a uniquely Christian Responsibility, it is an imperative Christian responsibility. Verse 48, he tells them, you are witnesses of these things. The word and their commission, we see that there's recognition and responsibility when we submit our unbelief to the truth, to the truth of scripture, our faith is. Increases second facet. We see there's a responsibility that we as believers have a a commitment must be committed to Christ's commission. And what is that commission? To proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. Beginning from right here where we are every day. In our everyday interaction with others. Calling people to repentance and forgiveness of sin. Why? How? Why? Because Christ died on the cross for the salvation of all who would believe in him. How? By the authority of God's word, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we are to proclaim this message and engage in this commission. The fourth scene we see in this text is Christ's glorious ascension in verses 50 through 53. Because Christ has risen and he has ascended to the father. Here's the hope we, too, are able to rise and ascend to the father. Christ has gone before us, he has conquered sin, death and the grave, and he has risen and he has gloriously ascended to the father. In verses 50 and 51, he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Verse 52 tells us. After worshiping him and they after worshiping him returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Brothers and sisters, I want us to see that a faith that rests in Christ's work is a faith that is filled with joy. Are you lacking joy? Then you're not focusing on the faithful work of Christ and what he has done in freeing us from the bondage of sin in giving us hope and giving us eternal life. And when we truly believe Christ, praising him will be the greatest, all-consuming desire of our lives. Do you see what happened in verse 52? When they see him carried up into heaven, they worshipped him. And then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy to wait upon the promised Holy Spirit filling. When we truly believe Christ. We will engage in the mission of Christ. The redemption of the world. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us. Because of Christ's crucifixion. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. We have hope and we have a message to tell to the nations. The message is this. He is alive. The grave couldn't hold him. Satan, our foe, is vanquished. And King Jesus sovereignly and eternally reigns. There is none who can defeat King Jesus. You see, God's unfolding plan through Christ's resurrection is still unfolding Today through the work of the church. It's still unfolding today. The church didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection created the church. And because of Christ's resurrection. We have a new beginning. Maybe this morning. You've recognized that. God's had you on this road of revelation. Showing you his truth and his word and. Drawing you by his spirit. But perhaps you've not yet surrendered your life to Christ. Perhaps you don't know the joy of Christ's resurrection and the hope of eternal glory. And I want to invite you, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I want to invite you to consider is today the day that he's calling you? Is today the day that he's calling you to surrender Turn over the the struggle with sin and surrender your life to him. Let him deliver you and free you from bondage. If Christ has the power to raise from the dead, he certainly has the power to deliver us from the sin and the bondage that holds us ensnared. Believer, are you carrying out God's commission? proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sin? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit to live out the imperative Christian responsibility to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin to the nations beginning here in Baton Rouge? I want to ask you to consider what have we to be ashamed of? Christ has risen from the dead gloriously and He has ascended to the Father. So let us live in the hope of resurrection. For Christ is our advocate. He is our savior who has conquered death. So what does God's unfolding plan look like through your discipleship, my discipleship with Christ? Luke intentionally ends his gospel this way. Acts is maybe we could say the second chapter where we see the. Working of the church and the Holy Spirit working through the church. This leads us, Luke leads us all the way up to Christ's resurrection and his ascension. And then he says, now go church and do the work of the church. And then Acts ends oddly, but intentionally. Luke intends for us, the church today, to read and finish the book of Acts and see, Okay, the third chapter is being written today by the church today. And so, church, I would ask us, how are we carrying out the commission of Christ? How is God's unfolding plan fleshing itself out in the life of every believer sitting in here this morning? In the life of Crosspoint as a church? The resurrection is the hope of glory for all nations. In Christ, there is a new beginning. He leads us along the road to the revelation, compassionately identifying with us, teaching us through His Word. He gives us His Word to know Him and gives us the commission. And not only does He give us the commission, but He empowers us by His Holy Spirit to carry out this great divine commission, the mission that Christ Himself came to the earth to walk and to begin. And we as the church are continuing to carry out this mission, this mission all the way up to his glorious ascension. And we know that because Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the father, we, too, have the hope of eternal life. Do you know the hope of eternal life today? Have you had a new beginning with Christ? Believer, are you walking faithfully with Christ, carrying out this commission that He has given us? I want to close us in prayer and offer you a time to respond to what the Lord might be prompting and, and doing within your heart, within your life. Maybe God's saying, come on this road to Revelation. It's time for you to have a new beginning. It's time for you to surrender your life to me. Quit running. Maybe that's what God's saying to you this morning. Or maybe He's reminding us, church, of our need to engage in In the commission of Christ and to walk in the mission that he has called us to. Let me pray and you respond how the Lord leads you. Let us pray. Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. You have given us life. Because you have gloriously ascended to the Father, we know, God, that you yourself have empowered us to live faithfully according to your will. And so we ask you, Father, that you would lead us this morning. I pray that you would give any strength in here who are struggling with with a new beginning, who are struggling with surrendering their life to you, that by your Holy Spirit, you would work and speak and draw them to yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stay.